We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 126 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. No Velvet Glove tonight, but with me, the 12th man. Welcome back, Paul. Hello, Fist. How are you tonight? I'm very well. Yes, the Velvet Glove, he's um, tied up with other things. Oh, well. So it's just you and I. Hi, Glove, if you're listening. I'm sure he will be at some <laughs> stage. So, dear listener, a good range of topics again, 12th man. So we'll just launch straight into them. First cab off the rank is uh, corporate tax and who's paying what? And I've got a link to an article in the show notes where the Australian Tax Office has just uh, released data of the tax paid by various large companies in Australia and seven of 700 of them paid nothing and an enormous number of them who seemingly make a lot of money paid, if not nothing, then next to nothing. So... Uh, 732 companies uh, who paid no tax, um, their collective income was $500 billion as their gross income and not a single dollar of tax out of $500 billion worth of gross income. Yeah, but you're totally discounting the benefit to the community (laughs) as a whole, aren't you? (laughs) Because they provided jobs. They provided jobs. Remember Kerry Packer? He used to say, I provide a lot of jobs, so don't get on, you know, don't gang up on me for not paying tax. No, it's not good enough just to provide jobs. You've also, the shareholders of those companies need to, you know, the the companies need to pay some tax. The shareholders would be paying money on their earnings, on their dividends, wouldn't they? They'd be paying tax on that. I would think. Oh, look, a lot of it, what's happening, Paul, is that the income is being shifted overseas. Yes. So within Australia, they're declaring that they're paying no tax and they're shifting it to via licence fees and other things to being income yeah. somewhere else in the world, you know, the Bermuda or Bahamas indeed, or some place like that where taxes isn't paid, or somewhere like Ireland, for example. And the Netherlands, apparently. Is the Netherlands low, is it? Uh, it's, it's apparently quite low, yeah. That was one of the countries mentioned in a discussion on the drum the other afternoon. Uh, John Hewson, former mm-hmm. Liberal leader John, John Hewson, uh, he also said that he thought it was a disgraceful situation that all these big, you know, good earners mm. as companies, they were basically not contributing their fair share uh, making profits from Australia, but just don't want to give anything back, do mm. they? Well, uh, a notorious one um, that uh, traditionally hasn't paid much tax would be Apple. So well, let me just see if I can bring up uh, uh, Apple on this list. Apple, PDYLTD. Uh, in Australia, gross income... Seven and a half billion dollars. That's like not that's bad. Seven thousand five hundred and seventy-one million dollars. Mm. So seven and a half billion dollars. Uh, tax paid, 
117 million, so 0.1 of a billion. It just doesn't... It's just a fraction of what they actually earn. Oh, so they did pay some tax. They paid some tax, but compared to compared to what they actually earn, it's nothing. Mm. So undoubtedly there's all these licence fees paid back to their head office. So, mm. you know, I think to myself, well, you know, next time I need a new phone, I've got an iPhone, I don't want to support Apple if they're not going to pay tax. So The products are so nice, but uh, I feel the same. So, I, yeah. I have an Apple computer and, a, and an iPhone, and uh, I have to say I like their products. They're a little expensive but but they're nice yeah so i think to myself oh maybe i'll buy a samsung perhaps look up the tax thing here samsung electronics australia pdy limited gross income two and a half two and a half billion dollars tax paid three and a half million it's nothing compared to the total sales pittance yeah you can't win you can't support because they're all playing the same game they are and we're just allowing this to keep happening. At some point, it's got to stop. Our politicians are allowing it to happen, and uh, yeah, uh, when will they actually do something about it? Don't know. Don't hold your breath. But the average Joe just doesn't get it. I don't think. Like in the last few weeks, we've had the arrival of Amazon into Australia, and many people are going, "Oh, isn't it great? Amazon's arrived." We're going get all this cheap stuff but the problem is i guarantee you amazon's going to be like the rest of these guys they won't pay tax at all either no harvey norman will pay his tax or he'll pay what he has to pay they'll wipe out a bunch of australian businesses that are currently paying tax and they won't pay tax themselves yeah and people don't get it like a mate of mine has got an online stationery business mike shout out to mike hi mike at smart supplies dear listener if you need stationery Go and contact Mike because wow. he's a good guy. Very good guy. A free plug for Mike. A free plug for Mike. Online stationery. Good service, good prices. There you go. Anyway, he was telling me how uh, he got an inquiry on his website where this guy had said, oh, yeah, I'm buying this stuff from you. You got really good prices. He said, um, you know, I, I, I contacted Amazon and tried to get them to match the price, but they couldn't match your price. So... I, Amazon uh, couldn't going, match it. No, couldn't match it. But my friend Mike said, why would you ring a contact, a multinational, trying to match price with a local supplier and give your business to a multinational? What, why would you? And, but People he was, are always looking but, for a good but he, deal. But he, was, but he was happy just to match the price. If Amazon had matched, this guy would have bought from Amazon. But meanwhile, there's a local supplier willing to offer it. Like, he gave the advantage to Amazon unnecessarily. Mm. And when my friend Mike said to this guy, I think he sort of thought about it and went, oh, well, I don't know why I did, you know, but he didn't think about it. So um, that's frustrating. Yeah. The average Joe doesn't yeah. know. So, um, yeah, that would be annoying for your friend Mike, I imagine. It would. You can help him out, dear listener, and just buy something from him and mm. tell him that Trevor sent you. So anyway... Uh, meanwhile, well, uh, meanwhile, <laughs> our Prime Minister, well, I think I mentioned in the past that America has just, well, they're very close to passing crazy tax, new tax laws that will reduce 
company tax to uh, 20% and will basically... Uh, other tax cuts at a personal level that will just clearly benefit the top 1%. Anyway, our Prime Minister has been trying to push through company tax... Well, he would call it reform, but I would call it abuse because he's seeking to lower it. And like they currently pay 30%. And he is saying that... and Well... Confession, dear listener, I was in the shops today and I just saw an Australian at the news agent and I was sort of reading the front page and I, and I saw this and I had to buy the Australian just because this article infuriated me so much. Did you so, feel dirty? I, I, that's the exact phrase I was going to use. I, I felt dirty handing over money to Rupert Murdoch for this. I knew it was going to be paywalled and everything else, but anyway... Uh, let me read this in the dim uh, light. Hang on, I'll get this light across so I can see what I'm doing. Malcolm Turnbull sees his double tax cut agenda, reducing corporate and personal income taxes, as an economic imperative given the transformative Trump tax reform agenda, as well as domestic political plus. Goes on. Um, basically, he's saying, well... If the US is reducing their tax to 20%, then we've got to as well. Why? Because we'll be uncompetitive in getting multinational business, is what he says. Mm. I'll, I'll, quote, I'll quote what he says. This is the real politic of company tax. If America has a dramatically lower tax rate than us, you cannot kid yourself, it is not going to put us at a disadvantage. No wonder the Business Council of Australia was horrified by what Bill Shorten said to them the other day. In addition to saying he thought a class war was good politics, he said he thought reduced company taxes were bad for the economy. This is all quoting Malcolm Fraser. Mm. Uh, Malcolm Turnbull. Well, give me a break. It's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. Everything I've said about company tax, Shorten said when he was in government, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Well... Here's the point. So he's saying, well, the US has reduced their tax to 20%. We've got to, otherwise we'll miss out on business around the world. What kind of business would we miss out on that, <laughs> that, that, that could be done in America and still suck money out of the Australian economy? Well, well, well this is presumably companies that are looking around the world for places where they're going to do their business... And they're going, well, we could put our office or our factory in America or we could put it in Australia mm. or we could put it in China or we could put it somewhere else. Mm. And he's saying that in the past some of those might have decided to come to Australia but now that America has got a less than... It's got a 20% tax rate, they'll go to America. What do you think? I have to uh, admit that I'm not an economist, so I don't understand the intricacies of it all. But I can imagine, uh, in terms of factories, I suppose that makes sense. But in terms of other businesses, uh, does it really stack up? Because, Well, he, here's my theory. Yeah. If you've got a factory, you're looking for low tax, low wages, etc. Yes. You're looking all over the world... Mm. It's not just a competition between Australia and the US. No. You're competing against hundreds of countries, mm. necessarily. 
if if tax is the driving factor, then they'll go to somewhere with an even lower tax rate. Yes. Singapore or uh, Ireland or places like that. Yeah. So if you're going to be um, battling for business simply on the basis of your tax rate, yeah. it's a it's a race to the bottom, and it's a disaster if that's your plan. But companies don't just need cheap labour. They need cheap labour that is reasonably well-educated, can read instruction manuals, can operate equipment or computers or whatever. So it's uh, Australia's advantage is surely, surely that we have a, a fairly well-educated populace, isn't it? You would, there's other factors have to come in yeah. and that our pop... You know, people will want to live and work here because mm. it's clean air and yeah. you're not going to be shot uh, as you go to the cinema. Mm. You know, there are factors like that mm. which make us an attractive place to do business. But a lot of the business that's coming is essentially multinationals like Apple and Samsung and Zara and these more who are coming in and putting shops in here to sell us stuff. They're not coming to build factories, are (laughs) they? Exactly. They're coming to sell us stuff. They're coming for our market. They can't sell us stuff from um, Indonesia, can they? No, they need the shops here. Yeah, they need the shops here. So they'll come here anyway... So why reduce the tax when they're paying no tax already? And well, this is the other thing. So, so if they want to sell to Australians, they'll have to come here. And, and we're a you know a a lucrative market in the sense you know high incomes etc. Yeah. Liberal Western democracy with plenty of money to spend on things like Apple products. Exactly. So they'll come here whether our tax rate is thirty or forty or fifty, because they'll sell iPhones plus. They won't pay that tax anyway. No. Like they've just they shown them. Very that they clever shuffle. methods of avoiding paying that, don't yeah. they? Already. Yeah. So why reduce it? So all you would be doing if you are reducing the tax rate is reducing the rate for those companies who basically operate locally and can't shift off overseas. Mm. So our banks, for example, yeah. are largely Australian based and their income is generated here and mm it's difficult for them to shuffle it off to another jurisdiction as opposed to somebody like Glencore or other mining groups who got head offices all over the place or Apple or whatever who can do inter-company deals to shift money across. So it's just going to be uh, throwing tax breaks at rich companies for no advantage to our... You obviously don't need them anyway. Correct. So that's the theory and... um, got a link here to an article which is titled uh, Republican Tax Plan Built for Plutocrats and in it the author uh, Martin Wolf is saying how does a political party that's dedicated to the material interests of the top 0.1% of income distribution win and hold power in a democracy? Like they clearly us are just favouring the top one percent. We're in a democracy. How do they pull it off? Is his question. And um, for example, of these uh, tax reductions, forty-five percent uh, of the tax reductions by two thousand and twenty-seven will go to households with incomes above half a million dollars. So that's the top one percent. And 38% will go to households with incomes above a million dollars. So that's the top 
0.3%. So what's that? 70, 83% of the tax is savings is going to the top 1.3% of the population. How, how do you get away with that in a democracy? Wow. That's um, a very good question. He says uh, three ways. The first approach is find intellectuals who argue that everybody will benefit from policies that ostensibly benefit so few. So supply-side economics, the trickle-down effect... That was Reagan's uh, formula, wasn't yep. it? And it's been proven again and again and again. It, it's never worked and it doesn't work. You give people more money... It doesn't trickle down. That just stays in their pocket. Yeah. You've probably seen um, cartoon illustrations of stacks of wine glasses. Yes. You know? Yes. And it's, it's the idea that the wine eventually trickles down, overflows the top glass and trickles down to the next layer and so on and so on. But have you seen the ones where they have the top glass is really huge? That's right. It just gets bigger and bigger. It just gets bigger and no, bigger. It trickles down. And the ones underneath are almost as huge, and the ones down the bottom are tiny, and nothing ever gets down to them, really, yes. does it? Yes. So in this article, he says, supporters of the proposed tax cuts argue that the reductions in corporate tax will lead to a big rise in business investment. Here are two powerful pieces of contrary evidence. The share of post-tax profits in US GDP has already nearly doubled since the early 2000s, with no beneficial effect on the rate of investment. And the UK has progressively slashed its corporate tax rate from 30 to 19% since 2008, with no identifiable benefit for investment. Lowering the corporate tax rate is merely a windfall for shareholders. Mm. Dear listener, the trickle-down effect is a load of nonsense. Mm. It doesn't work. So do you think Bill Shorten's onto something with his class war idea? He is. Do you know, Warren Buffett famously, and this is going back a few years, Warren Buffett very famously said, uh, there is a class war going on and we're winning. We meaning us very wealthy people. Mm. He said that very publicly. He admitted that his secretary paid more tax than he did. Yeah. But he also said he didn't think that was morally right. Yes. So, I mean, he's a, he's a man of um, uh, good moral convictions and he certainly seems to think that very wealthy people should pay more tax. Mm. So, anyway, just back to this article, three ways that, it, it, sort of, that this happens. One is, you know, get experts to talk about the trickle-down effect. Second is um, put wealthy people in power in politics... And the third one is um, uh, ferment cultural and ethnic splits so that the, the, the downtrodden fight amongst themselves and don't think to fight amongst uh, the, the wealthy elite who are screwing them over, yeah. essentially. If you can create division in the lower class and have them fighting each other, then that's the way to go. And... Trevor, have you ever heard of something called identity politics? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I wonder what that's about. Yeah. Well, you know, even things like I said at the very beginning of this marriage equality debate, that the neoliberals be loving this because while we've spent all this time arguing about marriage equality, you know, all those tax cuts that Turnbull was trying to get through, it's all been forgotten. Mm. Yeah. Good distraction. Very good. Um, uh, Actually, 
When it comes to identity politics, this article makes the point that uh, uh, this was first sort of used in um, the American Civil War, basically, where they encouraged a Southern identity. Um, and he says here that the South was a plutocracy. In the Civil War, whose stated aim was defence of slavery, close to 300,000 Confederate soldiers died. A majority of these men had no slaves, yet their racial and cultural fears justified the sacrifice. Ultimately, this mobilisation brought death or defeat upon them all. Nothing better reveals the political potency of identity. Mm. The people without slaves would fight to the death for the right to have slaves. Mm. Mm. Sad, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Latin American inequality leads to Latin American politics. The US the world once knew is drowning in a tide of unconscionable and apparently unlimited greed. We are all now doomed to live with the unhappy consequences. Mm-hmm. Brendan O'Neill, the, the guy mm-hmm. who um, runs Spiked Online. I've, I've read a few of his articles uh, in which he mentioned um, how identity politics actually does exactly what you're talking about. It distracts people from uh, the class struggle, you know, from, from, from the real competition, which is between those in power and have the money to keep themselves in power, um, distracting the people who don't have money or power and to, to, to keep their mind off what is the real problem, which is inequality. That was Yasmin Abdul-Majid's great crime, where she had a platform and all she could talk about was her nonsense about um, cultural appropriation and the like and identity, mm. when really her you know, Somali brothers and sisters mm. needed a minimum wage and Healthcare, uh, you know, affordable housing and all these other things. Yeah. But no mention from there. That was her great crime mm. with the platform she had. Mm. Hmm. Uh, you sent me 12th Man. Well, you sent me a message at one stage during the week and you said well, the message was, what would I say if, um, if somebody asked me what time my kebab shop opened? That's I, right. I had no idea what you were talking about. <laughs> I, I assumed you'd get it immediately, no. being a cricket fan, aren't you? A cricket no, fan? I'm not a cricket fan, no. I called you the 12th man. I'm not a cricket fan either. I know you're not a 12th man. That was the irony of that. <laughs> no. but, but because of your role as filling in when, when necessary, that's how you got the 12th man. Yes, I understood that. Yeah. But no, I'm, I'm not a I assumed great... you were a cricket fan. No. There you go. No, I'm not a great fan. So um, what's this kebab shop... Uh, opening hours business about. <laughs> so, dear listener, um, uh, English cricket team is in Australia and Moeen Ali has revealed he had a racist comment directed at him from the crowd while he was fielding for England in the Ashes series. series. Moeen uh, is in no mood to complain about the exchange, describing it as nothing major and just the first example that came to mind about the chirp he had encountered on and off the pitch this winter and he says quote somebody asked me what time my kebab shop opened but that is about it he said um uh, so there's lots of sledging going on on cricket and 
Uh, obviously, this guy, he's got the beard, so he looks sort of he's got Pakistani the look, yeah. or something like that. And somebody in the crowd has shouted, Hey, what time's your kebab shop open? And that's been described as a racist comment, 12th Man. Do you think that that's a racist comment? Um, I, I wouldn't, no. Um, I wouldn't have thought so. I, I always associate kebab shops with uh, Turkish or Lebanese people rather than Pakistanis. But it's not a race, is it? Turkish is not a race. Lebanese is not a race. Uh, Pakistani's not a race, for goodness sake. It's not a race. It's a, it's a nationality. It's an ethnicity. So, so that's true. That's true, for uh, starters. How is, it a, how is it racist? What time is your kebab shop open? Well, the point is it's got to be insulting. Like, it, if you are it may a, a well race, be insulting, racist, well, is but it? is it racist? I mean, is it, is my question. Well, he's a professional cricket player. He's standing there in the British cricket team uniform he's obviously not running a kebab shop yeah yeah, but (laughs) but but is it insulting to say to somebody to suggest to somebody that they own a kebab shop like he he might have a put down of people who who run kebab shops isn't it well for for someone to take it as an insult that's the point yes is if you take it as an insult then you yourself are looking down on kebab shop Mm. owners not because i mean there's a perfectly legitimate enterprise and no doubt there are millionaires who own kebab shops because they're probably like coffee shops and all the rest of it. If you run it properly, you can make a good coin out of it. Like, who knows? But um, They're quite profitable, apparently. wouldn't yeah. surprise me. Mm. So, and so, so the notion that suggesting that somebody owns a kebab shop is derogatory is actually derogatory to kebab shop owners. Mm. You, by saying, oh, that's racist, yeah. you actually then... I've insulted kebab shop owners. Yes, exactly. So if I said, uh, you know, you, you may recall when we were little kids, the common insult was your mother wears army boots. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean Did people... Did say that or is it just something that you read? People like, who wear army boots are yeah. somehow low-class people. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, there we go. So anyway... I know on different Facebook things there's been all talks about how insulting and racist and whatever that is, but at the end of the day, to suggest somebody is a small business owner is a derogatory comment? Fist, you'd probably agree this is part of that galaxy of um, people who who actually go actively looking for racism under every rock. And even where there is no racism, no apparent racism or even any hidden racism... Somehow they manage to find it, don't mm. they? I mean, you could call it stereotyping, but, you know, there's nothing necessarily derogatory about stereotyping. So, you know, a stereotype could be, you know, uh, all teenagers on the Gold Coast, um, as, you know, ride surfboards on weekends or something. Mm. You know, that, that's it. Or that's all accountants, so. all female accountants are right. plain-looking, unattractive women. Y- yes. You know, that sort but, of stereotype. yes. yes. So, um, or all accounts are bespeckled sort of um, nerds, yeah, with um, with pocket cal- pocket pocket savers, yes, um, pocket savers to put their pens in. Exactly. So you know, stereotyping doesn't equal racism and doesn't equal derogatory terms necessarily. So yeah, yeah. 
So there we go. That's uh, our take on that incident. Um, You also sent me the one about Milo Yiannopoulos and he was in Melbourne and around Australia doing a series of talks and quite a few demonstrators turned up at different ones and in Victoria, the Victorian police um, have said that they want to bill uh, Milo Yiannopoulos and his promoters $50,000 for the extra sort of um, manpower, police manpower, that was required because of the scene created by his talk. What do you think? A legitimate request by the Victorian Police Service? It's entirely illegitimate. Right. I mean, they they actually did bill him initially for something, some nominal sum like 5,000 or something like that, which was apparently a standard fee that they ask people for to provide some sort of security presence. Right. And it was only after the um, the, the ruckus that occurred that they decided that they were going to bill this guy extra. Right. Which is an outrageous, an out, absolutely out... I mean, it was the Victorian Minister for Police who uh, made, the, um, made a statement to the media about this. Mm-hmm. And I just thought... Who does this Victorian Minister for Police think she is? Apparently it's a female. Um, Does she get to decide whose freedom of speech is free and whose freedom of speech is charged to, to, to a level that would make it very far from free? In fact, it would become very expensive speech for anybody in future who had the temerity to put on an event of, pub, you know, some sort of uh, uh, of interest to whoever. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a, a foundation stone of our democratic system, is that people with ideas, whether you like them or don't like them, get to deliver them in, in a public space to whoever wants to come and listen to them. Well... He was in a venue that's commonly used for giving talks. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. out on the street with a mega, you no. know, with a bullhorn trying to. And presumably he didn't arouse people's passions. Presumably he didn't break any law while he was there. He broke no law, as so far we'll as just I'm aware. Assume that he didn't incite violence or break Section mm. 18C or anything like yeah. that. We'll just assume that as a given. Yeah. If he did, then he's up for some money. But, but if he I, broke I a law, he, didn't. he would be liable, surely, for prosecution, not, yes. for, not for an on-the-spot fine. It would be a, a, surely a... True. Um, I mean, innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, true, true. But this police minister is, mm. has apparently, apparently found him guilty of creating, mm. of fomenting a public disturbance, mm. in effect. Mm. So I, I think it's fine for the police service to say to... I don't know, uh, the convention centre or whatever it is, when you hold an event, any event, uh, if you've got 10,000 people there, then that requires us on the street with X amount of police. So as a fee, you need to pay us $5,000 or whatever. And and that's what they apparently paid. It doesn't matter. 
that's that's a sort of a, a fee that's required. I think that's fair enough. But to ask for an extra 50... 50 is outrageous. ...because of protests yes. um, by people who just don't like Milo. Yeah. I don't like Milo either. I think he's an awful character. But I'm anyway. not crazy about him myself, yeah. but I would absolutely defend... I mean, he's broken the law, as we've discussed. Mm. I defend his right to speak, mm. regardless of whether we like him or not. Mm. Uh, you know, once once we allow the the political class to start telling us who is allowed to speak and who isn't allowed to speak, then we've lost it, haven't we? Mm. I mean, that's a undermining of our democracy, really. Yeah. Yep. yep. It's, it's absolutely outrageous. Mm. Do you know what happened in the end? Did he just refuse? No idea. No, I haven't seen any reports as to his response or their response, I should say. It's not just Milo's being billed, it's the people who organised the uh, talks. Right, yep. Oh, 12th man. Did you send me this one as well? You sent me three really potentially controversial articles as well. I try. Yeah. This one is by an author, uh, Aboriginal, or a lady who identifies as Aboriginal, who wrote a, um, a novel with a kind of a dystopian, post-apocalyptic sort of theme about uh, First Nations peoples and uh, basically saying that they've survived an apocalypse and um, that was the, the nature of her novel that she wrote. Mm. And, look, I think on the face of it, that's fair enough to say that Fiction is fiction, why not? But, but but really, for Aboriginal people of 250, 300 years ago, whatever, like, that was an apocalyptic event. In a sense it was. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair enough. It, it certainly um, was a, you know, a, a turning point in their, in, this, in their social and cultural history in as much as it suffered serious damage and decline in most parts of Australia, didn't it? Yeah. She says here, an entire civilization was destroyed along with our language and a lot of culture was destroyed because the people who invaded Australia, and it was an invasion, had no respect for the people who lived here. That's, that's a fair comment. It is a fair comment. White people brought their own culture, their own religion, seeing ours as completely lacking in value. They used their military might and their control of the resources they stole to force their culture on us. There are survivors, there is living culture, but so much, so very much was lost. Um, We don't have to imagine an apocalypse, we survived one. Um, I've just got one problem with this, Dwarf Man. What's your problem? I, I... I strongly suspect that she has a significant white ancestry. No, come on. Just on the face of it, just no, looking look, at her. There's a tattoo on her arm of the Aboriginal flag. Which a previous commentator has said that doesn't make you Aboriginal and just because you've plastered yourself with uh, red and yellow and black stuff doesn't make you Aboriginal. Doesn't she it? sort of complained when people oh, did that. Dear. But... Um, uh, this is the thing. She's just selected one of her ancestors in preference to the other, which is, you know, a theme I bang on about all the time. You do. But uh, really, at the end of the day, I think that the article, which was titled, uh, let me just find it here, Apocalypses are more than stuff of fiction. 
Really, it should have just been titled What One Group of My Ancestors Did to Another Group. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, a very selective view of history, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we're perfectly aware of the, um, the damage and the harm and, and the death and the destruction they suffered. We have no argument with that. That, that is historical fact. Mm. But she's denying, as you say, the history of her other ancestors yes. who may have been poor Irish or English peasants or from wherever they came from. Yes. They didn't exactly have a flash life. Can you imagine what Ireland was like in the middle of the um, 18th century or mm. the 19th century, sorry? Mm. You know, when they had the potato famine? Tough. Thousands and thousands of people died of starvation. Mm. Um, so, you know, she totally ignores them. Yes. It's only her indigenous ancestors that she's interested in. Yeah. And not only that, I, I, I want to take issue with her use of the word civilization. Now, <laughs> I did a little bit of anthropology at uh, university, and the textbook I read, uh, the word civilization was about. Um, uh, society that was organised in hierarchies and with uh, specialised roles. It wasn't. Um, they never. It was never applied to hunter-gatherer societies. And I'm not really? saying. I'm not saying hunter-gatherer societies had no merit. And and mm. certainly, you know, there were in in a lot of them there was a fair degree of egalitarianism, or at least in some of them. Right. But the word civilization was specifically applied to cultures and societies that became complex and hierarchical and with specialised occupational roles. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as I know, the Australian Indigenous cultures were never like that. Mm. I think it's... I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah, and and in a sense, it's just semantics. But when she says, um, you know, a civilization was destroyed, well, a kind of a a culture was was destroyed. Destroyed, or at least largely largely destroyed. Mm. Um, But I think she's uh, misrepresenting. You want to to reserve the word civilization for well. No, I think my point is I think she's misrepresenting Mm. what was lost. Mm. You know what I mean? If you look at the conquest of the Incas in uh, South America, you Mm. could say a civilization was lost because that was a very complex hierarchical society. And it was destroyed by the invading Spanish. Right. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that you know that we shouldn't value these uh, hunter-gatherer indigenous societies that were that were destroyed. But I think she needs to. So what about say in Africa with accurate. like the Zulus or something like that? Mm. Were they a civilization? I don't know much about the Zulus right. to be honest. Right. What sounds, you, well, I don't know. It sounds like a criteria might be substantial buildings of some sort. Is that I, true I think it's not? I think it's not so much about buildings as social uh, roles. Do you know what I mean? Right. How how society is organised? You where you have like a priest cl- class, you might have a, right. a warrior class, you might have a, a farmer class or an artisan right. class. That kind of thing is usually right. what is considered civilization, where you have specialised. Uh, roles. Right. And they didn't have like a dream time storyteller and a. Uh, uh, what were the other roles that you mentioned there? No, apparently in, in uh, hunter gatherer societies, basically everybody learns to do everything. Right, okay. So it's not hierarchical. Some, I mean, yeah, right. it could have been patriarchal. Right. I mean, I've heard Abor- Aboriginal Australians say that 
There was one bloke recently said that Aboriginal society was matriarchal. Now, that surprised me. Right. Uh, because of the way they organise their kinship relationships. Okay. Based on the, the women. Okay. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to do a bit more reading into that to make an informed comment. But Right. Okay. So in the same way you'd say uh, a highland tribe in Papua New Guinea is not a civilisation, is it? And a that's lost my, tribe in the Amazon that's would not my be a civilisation. Yeah. 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 Okay. Fair enough. For mm. what it's worth. Mm. And not not saying that nothing was lost and that those people are of lesser yes. human value. That's yes. not what I mean at all. Yes. But I think she's um, she's muddying the waters by not using accurate uh, descriptions of mm. of the indigenous people mm. at uh, the time of settlement. Mm. Well, there we go. There you go. Uh, um, Have you ever seen that old Australian film, uh, Ten Canoes? No. That was very interesting. It was made by that... Um, I forget his name now. He was a Dutch-Australian filmmaker and he specialised in making films about Indigenous Australians. Right. He made this terrific film, uh, must be 20 years ago now, called mm-hmm. Ten Canoes. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was made in the Northern Territory somewhere. It was a story of pre-settlement Aboriginal society and... They spoke in some indigenous language with English subtitles on the screen, so it was all done uh, supposedly you know to to represent what indigenous society was like with absolutely zero contact with um, European settlers. It was quite interesting. You should try and mm. look it up sometime mm. okay I will mm. We've talked a little bit oh, actually, I want to move on to some more light-hearted things. 12th man. It's getting but too heavy. It is. The, the dear listener needs a bit of a, a laugh. A bit of light and, relief, yes. Yeah, Good and, idea. And I'm going to slip this in at this point. So, and well, that's appropriate terminology, actually, because this is an interview with a lady on UK uh, television. She's on like a morning show or something like that, clearly. And uh, One of your she, regular programs? No, it? I don't know how I came across this. But um, uh, anyway. She claimed that she had sex with a ghost. And this is her interview with the sort of um, television morning team in the UK. Here it is. Worried. I thought maybe I'd scared it off by being too keen. Oh, OK. And then sort of just waited and waited for a while. And then I got a little bit worried. I thought maybe I'd scared it off by being too keen. Oh, OK. And then sort of just as I'd given up hope and was starting to fall asleep, it came to me. Um, and what happened? Um, it, I don't know what I can say on well, TV. You just had <laughs> Wait, you, you, had, just, you had sex? Yeah, I had sex with the so, ghost. With a ghost? Yeah. Yes. But you can't wrap your arms around a ghost. No. So how, what, how, physically, how does, um, how does the sex bit happen? You, you can still feel it. Like, it felt it was kind of, it's difficult to explain. Like a weight? Kind of a weight, but at the same time weightless. And like a physical, there's the breath and stroking. And the energy as well. I think the energy was a lot to do with it. Do you feel a connection? And does a sexual experience with a ghost end in orgasm? Um, for me, yeah. Right. Gosh, <laughs> so wow. I'll fan for the ghost. I just hope so. <laughs> I, I, I'm worried, 12th man, because she, she didn't seem to take too much interest in the ghost. She in, didn't. No, she's, <laughs> in, the, in the ghost's pleasure. She's pretty she, she focused on her own pleasure, wasn't she? <laughs> She was quite convinced, quite certain of her own response, but she she seemed a little bit vague about whether the 
whether the ghost had enjoyed it as much as she had. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's hope that you know there is some some further um, some meetings. And uh, that she can <laughs> report on it in the future as to the, the, the pleasure of the ghost. Oh, dear. Dear, oh dear, dear. Uh, the Iron Fist Velvet Glove Secular Index is coming along, 12th man. Good news. The, the Senate component is complete, dear listener. Excellent. You've done a, a marvellous job. Um, so, got the House of Reps to go. Most of the remaining ones, I think, will just be unknowns and given a neutral score of five. But what I could say about the Senate um, is that uh, I had 47 unknowns where I just couldn't find where they had stated a religious belief or not. So um, of those, they scored 4.81. So just slightly failing on the secular scale amongst the unknowns. And I found 18 Christians, including Catholics. Their average score on the index was 2.61. So they weren't very secular at all. And five atheists, and their score was 6.8. So... How did you know they were atheists? Because there was where they declared that they were atheists mm, at some interesting. point. Mm. Yeah. It's quite a contrast with our, our cousins across the ditch in North America, isn't it? Uh, in that... In that it, it's apparently quite rare for American politicians to come out publicly as atheists. There have been a, a few mm. notable cases in recent times, but they're still yeah. relatively rare, I believe. So only five of our, what, 60, 70-odd senators... Wasn't many. Are publicly atheists. Yes. Yeah, it's not a lot. But yeah. but we've had prime ministers who were clearly uh, of that bent, haven't we? Back in the good old days. <laughs> oh, well, oh, well, so well, Julia Hawk. Gillard was. Yeah, she Bob Hawke, I think, was pretty much an atheist, wasn't he? Uh, I think so, yeah. Paul Keating claims to be a Catholic, but for all intents and purposes, he certainly acted like an atheist. Well, there was a study done by a guy who studied our prime ministers... And what he found was that the further you go back, the more difficult it is to know because people just didn't talk about religion in those days. It wasn't something that they wore on their sleeve like Howard and Rudd and Abbott and people like that have done in recent times. So when you start going back, uh, it wasn't something that people spoke about. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, I shall be um, getting a little spreadsheet done and crunching some numbers and seeing um, which political parties had more or less of different categories and how about in your family mm-hmm. uh, are you aware of anyone in your family any of your forebears being atheists um look my parents are not religious even though they sent me to a catholic school but that was for the discipline rather oh. than, rather than for the <laughs> yeah. religious belief and prior to that, no, that was... For the discipline. Yeah, there's nothing particularly religious about them in any... Did your brothers life. and sisters go to Catholic schools too? Well, I had one brother, and he went, of course, to a Catholic school. For discipline? Well. Yes. <laughs> Did it work? <laughs> he's an atheist as well. So, yeah. Actually, he called himself a Christian agnostic at one stage. I'm not sure what his latest thing is, but... Yeah. Look, I have to say, in my family, religion was never talked about, even though uh, I was sent to church and Sunday school for many years as a child. But it just wasn't discussed. Mm. But um, 
I can say in my, on, my, on my father's side, one, one of them was a, um, a communist warfie in Sydney <laughs> who used to get literature from the Soviet Union. So right. I imagine he was... I, I imagine he was probably... Oh, he could have been a Catholic communist, I suppose. Were there mm-hmm. such things? I suppose there were. Don't know. But I, I'm not aware of him having any religion. I assume he didn't have any. And, right, uh, right. And I have a grandfather who uh, apparently chased away the Catholic priest when one of his children died at the age of 15 of appendicitis. Right. And the Catholic priest came around to visit the family home to pay his respects or right. you know, say a prayer or whatever they used to do. And the, the story I was given from an uncle was that uh, he chased the priest away, told him to get lost. Good on him. Yeah. yeah. I was quite pleased to hear that story. Yeah, good too. on him. Um, Twelfth Man. We've talked a lot about the cake shop. And, uh, we have. Yeah. And some, I, I fear some listeners are, have had enough. But, but dear listener, here's the, here's the point. Well, apparently not. <laughs> uh, John wrote and he said he's had enough. And, um, but here's, my, here's what you can do, dear listener. With this download of this podcast that you've got, we've listed the topics and I've put in there the um, sort of a timestamp of the different topics. So if you look at your phone or whatever you're listening to this podcast on, uh, it'll tell you when the next topic starts. So if you don't like it, you can just fast forward and we won't be offended, believe me. But we're not going to rehash the argument that we had, but we're just going to explore little side tours along the way. (laughs) Um, Just to recap... I tried in the last episode to build up the case for dignity, yeah. if you will recall. Mm. And I said, look, it's, it's this loss of dignity which cannot be recovered that mm. is a big thing. And, uh, and it really was a battle of competing um, interests. And, and competing and, freedoms. And, and you felt that the... the uh, the loss of the freedom to serve whoever you wanted to was was such a great travesty that that outweighed the travesty of the loss of dignity. Yeah. By the correct, it was sort of a weighing up of things. Yeah, look, because you, know. you you will admit some uh, f- some restriction of freedom is allowable mm-hmm. in certain circumstances. So it's a, a balancing act that, yeah. of of when is it. And when is it not? Mm. When does the competing interest outweigh the freedom interest? Absolutely. True? Yep. 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 So I've been reading a book, Twelfth Man. I've just finished it. Yanis um, Forifakis, Adults in the Room. And it's all about... He's the Greek guy, isn't he? Correct. Sounds Greek. He was, uh, he was the Greek finance minister yes. during the crisis. He was an Australian academic and he ended up... Um, becoming a member of parliament and uh, the finance minister and did all of the negotiating with the EU uh, regarding the bailouts Mm. and he really tried to um, convince the government that he was a part of that they needed to threaten a a Grexit, a a removal from the um, euro as a last resort in order to have their loans written off because essentially their loans are so big 
it is impossible for them to ever get on top of them. Mm. So they're in a kind of an old-fashioned debtor's prison, like yes. in the bad old days when you got into debt. Despite your best efforts, if it was so large you had no chance of repaying it and you ended up in debtor's prison. And we introduced bankruptcy laws mm. as a... As a reason to say, well, look, there's just no point. At some point, you've got to wipe the slate clear and start again. And he was trying to, uh, at a national level, wipe the slate clear mm. and start again. And the EU were tough, tough negotiators mm. and were refusing to do that because of a whole bunch of reasons. Anyway, dear listener, it's if you're interested in that topic at all and the power um, machinations involved, very, very, very good book. Really enjoyed it. What's the title? Adults in the Room. Adults in the Room. Yeah, so there we go. But anyway, um, so in the lead-up to uh, the, the financial crisis, things are bad in Greece and getting really bad. And his wife must be some sort of artist or something. So she was involved in an art installation. Um, so I'll just read part of this book and what she was doing. Um, but... Part of this installation was to create... Um, there was going to be like a hundred black boxes in this room with uh, a word inside each box. And she reached out to the Greek community in Greece saying, um, what, uh, you know, with this financial crisis, in one word, a single word, what are you most afraid of? What is the one thing you want to preserve? as we enter this crisis, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, she put things out into social media and got thousands of responses from Greek people. Uh, and her name is Danaea. Danaea's idea was that, unlike, say, the black box of a, drowned air, of a downed aircraft, these boxes would be opened before it was too late. The word that Athenians had chosen more than any other was not jobs, pensions or savings. Twelfth man. What they feared losing most was... The D word. Dignity. Yes. Just put that out there. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that was that from uh, Giannis Furifarkas. And we've had a few comments on our Facebook page. Um, Matt and Ken both agree with you. Really? Essentially. <laughs> saying that, yeah, I don't like it. did they agree? Um, they are a little bit torn, but they figure that if a sign is put outside the shop saying no blacks allowed, then that's okay. Mm. And that the indignity would be less because you could just walk past the shop if you were a black man or if it was a no gaze allowed sign, you could walk past the shop and then that would be okay. Look, I I have to say... And so would you. I have to say, when it comes to just uh, skin colour, I I would probably not have a problem with uh, laws protecting people's dignity. Um, what ah. I'm yeah, I, look, I know, I, I know, but okay, well, let me backtrack here because they didn't actually use the word blacks, but I've I've just 
duck the knife in a little bit here on Matt and Ken mm. because my arguments all along have been this is we're talking about gay people, black people, polka dot people. But here. gay people are not a colour. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. But so, I, so and, well, and half the time neither are black people. <laughs> so this is an interesting development. Yeah. No, I'm all for protecting people's dignity. What I'm also interested in protecting is the freedom of people in business to do business as they want to Look, do business. I'd, I'd given up, and now you're opening a little door on me. I'm starting to no, think no. again. But it's, ha- it's all about freedom, because, Trevor. But, 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 but hang on, let me get this straight then. Just <laughs> so I thought that you were okay, with the, certainly with the gay couple... That was to do with a, a custom-baked cake. But, but a wedding shop yeah. is... You're okay for the wedding... No, actually, you were not. You went beyond that because you said florists and photographers and whatever. You went beyond that. I you, said, you said people in their own private business yeah. should have the liberty... To say no. ...to refuse service Correct. to a customer they didn't want to do business with. And I said to you, does that extend to black people? And you said yes. Well... You know, as distasteful as it is, uh, I mean... Okay, but now... Wouldn't and, and you, you think, still hold that position? Yeah, I, I basically do. But, okay, as I don't want to talk you out of it because I'm, I'm mm. over-talking you out of it. Mm. But now I'm on to the signage issue. Yeah. So, granted that you've acknowledged yeah. that people can refuse service to black people, <laughs> are you now saying that they... You want an, you want an additional out. level of torture on these people no, that no, they have no, to no, walk no, in no, the no. door? Look, or is a sign okay? No, it started out as me defending the gay baker who was asked to prepare a special cake for a gay couple. That's where it started. I, I know. And I, I personally I have sympathy with the, the, the baker because, you know, we, we talk about religious freedom and the people and, and, and freedom of conscience... You know, we even have such a thing as a conscience vote, for goodness sake, in the Parliament. So surely we should ex- extend that freedom of conscience to the baker who didn't want to prepare I'm a gay wedding I'm not trying to talk yeah, you yeah, out yeah. of it. I'm, I'm, I'm on the sign. Yes. Because I know that you're the happy... The sign... I know well, you're happy for the, for the shop to refuse service to a black people and you uh, figure that the market yeah. will fix that. I, which I, is that's which, that's my which my is position. what Matt and Ken I think yes. are saying. Is In that, other words, is that the market will say uh, n- no, you can't do that. The market and, will and the business will punish fail. them, yeah. right? Effectively. No, I'm, I'm trying to help you out. Yes, here. thank you. Fizz. So you are therefore okay with a shop sign saying no blacks allowed because you figure that the uproar will be such that the shop will go out of business. That's an interesting one. Look, I, I haven't... I have, this is the first I've heard of this one, a sign on the front of the shop. I mean, that's what it used to be like, of course. But wouldn't that be even better from your point of view? Because without the sign, people may not know that this is a bigot who yeah, refuses service allowed. to blacks. But with a sign, it's an announcement they've to the g- whole world. They're given a warning not to go into the shop. Hmm... I'll have to think about that one. I'm not sure. Really? So you're you're no, okay with the person refusing service, but you're not necessarily okay with a sign stating. Look, it it sounds like I approve of people refusing service, no, which no, I no. don't. I know you don't approve. I know of you don't. You say they shouldn't. It, I find it repugnant and yes. distasteful and disgraceful. Yes. But but I I still think that there is a principle of 
people in business should have the liberty oh, to do business okay, with okay. the people well, they want to do well, business well, with. Well, part of that now, maybe, a, maybe a retail shop... Part of that... Uh, we have to, you know, the, the person in business has to say, well, if I bake cakes, standard cakes, whoever walks in the door should be entitled to buy one, you know. I mean, obviously. But my point was custom-made goods. Yeah, yeah. florists and photographers. Florists see. and photographers and wedding cake yeah, bakers. Yeah, so on, on the... And on motorcycle the... mechanics. So on the website of the photographer, it should say, look at the beautiful work we do. Oh, by the way, uh, we don't do black people. Or maybe rather than we don't do black people, we only do certain types of people. You know, we specialise in, and this is the kind of wedding we do. But, but, but we refuse. Heterosexual, be clear. heterosexual weddings only, please, or something like that. What do you think? Rather than... Well, whites only. Yeah, I, I have a problem with this word white, you know, because what is white? Well, that's up to and that's, what is that's, black? that's up to the shopkeeper because you've allowed them a personal mm. liberty in this mm. case. So, so the sign could say "whites only" mm. in brackets, and "white" is, in my opinion, whether you're white enough. Mm. Close bracket. Mm. I mean, and we know a lot of people who claim to be black. It's just a matter of opinion as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Well, you see, you being a libertarian need to reserve the right for the shopkeeper. Not, I to, don't claim to, to be a libertarian. To, but you, you, so, anyway, Matt and Ken are of the opinion that in relation to gay people at a wedding venue, mm. cake baker, classic thing, mm. then uh, perhaps a sign fixes everything. And, a sign on the front of the and business. And Ken and Matt, I couldn't disagree more. I think it'd be ter- like, it, mm. it, it does not help at all because the indignity is even worse because somebody who doesn't even want a cake who is black and walks past the shop is told that they can't have one even if they weren't even thinking of it. Like, you may not even be getting married, but if you're a black person walking down the street and you see mm. a sign saying, no blacks can have a cake from this shop, mm. that would be quite disheartening. Yeah. I don't want to live in a society like that. But you're not wanting to, but you're going to allow people to do that if they wish. Or shall we come back to you about the signage? I, 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 yeah, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Anyway, that's it's, on... It's, it's, it's a matter of competing principles, isn't it? John T., one of our patrons, he, uh, he at least agrees with me and he is disappointed with you, fourth man. But, um, he wouldn't uh, be the first one. <laughs> and... He thinks we've gone way too much on this topic, and yeah, probably. Uh, we probably have. And today was probably we went over. I think up until today we didn't cross the line, but I did preface it, dear listener, with the ability to scrub forward to the next timestamp. So mm. there's my excuse. Ah, uh, right. Um, so yeah, dear listener, if you like one of the topics we've talked about here, and you're wanting to recommend it to a friend, then. Find the podcast on our website and send your friend the link and the different topics have got a timestamp and people can just click on that. So you could say to them, hey, there was a really interesting article about chicken breeding in episode 125. Go to this um, link and hit this particular... So they um, just have to hit a a point on the... Yeah, let me just see if I've got it here. Um, Is this the one for... 
this is the tattoos. Um, chicken breeding, where did that come up to? Um, I'm on episode, yeah, episode 125, for example. Oh, now that I've said that, where's my link for? Oh, at the 10 minute, 18 second point. The fist argues that a chicken breeding exercise provides a useful analogy to American society. So your friends, dear listener, could just click right on that and go straight to that discussion without having to listen to all the other guff that we talk about. So that's handy. Uh, Patrons, thank you. Brett, Sean, Alex, Wayno, Jason, Grant, John, Craig, Janelle... Uh, John A and Ken thanks guys for being patrons much appreciated your friend David Lionhelm well he's not your friend my friend Um, uh, so he's the libertarian we've been talking about in recent episodes and he was very keen on freedom of speech and freedom of everything Mm -hmm. and he's keen on relaxing the gun laws because You should be free to have a gun if you want a gun. That's what he reckons. Mm. Um, Apparently, uh, I'm just reading a a sort of a summary of what was in the Saturday paper. A while back, the Chaser team struck gold with this Colonel Clink of the upper house, meaning Lionhelm, Mm. uh, when he said people who were unhappy with wicked campers and their sexist slogans were wowsers. Do you know what a wicked camper is? I do. Yeah. Dear listener, if you're not aware, they're camper vans that are hired out cheaply to backpackers and they've got these quite rude, um, salacious... Crass. Crass kind of, uh, wordings, slogans and statements. Slogans. It's more than the old panel van, you know, if the, if the cars are knocking, don't... If the cars are rocking, don't come knocking. Or you know, it's it's far worse than that, yeah. and it's quite bordering on the obscene. Some mm. of the stuff that they've got, and Lionhelm, of course, being a freedom of speech advocate. Well, there was a there was an online petition, wasn't there? There was a yes. public campaign, yes, by some woman who claimed you know she didn't want her children being exposed to these wicked campers and yeah. their and their crass. Um, decorations mm. she organised a campaign to you know get people riled up over it I think it might have been successful it may have been I, but I have I'm a vague sure. memory of some laws how many happening. wicked campers have you seen recently well I can't say that I have seen many but I think she might have been successful anyway the chase it, so um, uh, David Lionhelm said anyone who complains about wicked campers is just a wowser so the chaser team uh, turned up outside David Lionhelm's home with a van bearing um, the message, quote, the best thing about oral sex from David Lionhelm, dash, five minutes of silence. <laughs> and he didn't appreciate it, apparently. No, he came outside and told him to F off, apparently. Yeah, he didn't see that. Didn't think it was so funny. But anyway, good on the chaser team for... Um, they're good value, the yeah, Chaser team. Yeah, they are. Right, 12th man. Uh, I expect that um, Scott will be back with us next week. We need a Christmas episode. Our best episode ever, perhaps, was our first Christmas episode. Oh, really? I think. Did you wear party hats? You were there. I was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did we that. wear party hats? 
no, we didn't. No. You can't see party hats on a podcast. Really, no, but we'll have to get our act together and do a bit of a Christmas special, I think, mm, for next sounds week. Sounds good. Mm. All right, dear listener, thanks for bearing with us. We'll talk to you next week. See you, listener. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to I think $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.